welcome to the thrilling episode of Adventuring Academy. This is the podcast where we talk about all things tabletop. I'm your humble dungeon master, Bradley Mulligan. With me today, oh my goodness, am I so excited to have the following guest here to talk about all kinds of awesome ways to run games at your table. Uh, you know and love this performer and content creator. Uh, they are a content producer for Roll20, as well as a longtime cast member and dungeon master for the incredible stream Rivals of Waterdeep, which you must go check out right away. You also know them as Cheese from Pirates of Leviathan, the digital maestro for all things Unsleeping City Chapter 2, uh, and the master of the Roll20 battle map also a cast member for indoor recess also bonus i actually have a note here uh from andrew bridgman uh uh played electronic keyboard and vocals as a founding member of the emo <laughs> rock band victorian <laughs> halls i Ooh. got you baby Ooh, did not please, expect that one <laughs> did not expect that one please welcome my friend and yours mr carlos luna hey, what's going on everyone oh thanks come on sit down sit down oh yeah that's great wow this audience is great Lively. Wow, did not expect that that emo band thing. Uh, <laughs> oh, so good though. Uh, <laughs> I got it. I know I had to sneak one under the radar there. Uh, Carlos, how are you doing, my friend? I've been good, been good. Just been working, keeping my head down, doing a lot of projects, overextending myself, you know. The stuff you do, yeah. Stuff you do, a hundred percent. Um uh, we were just talking before we went on about your work uh, organizing Roll20 Con, Rollvember, the 13th uh, month of the month year. Of the year. <laughs> uh, uh, we were also talking, uh, speaking of coming out to a roaring crowd, uh, we were also talking uh, just before we came on air about a mutual hobby and and I, I want to say calling, I want to say craft Call? that you and I... A cult? Uh, <laughs> cult? You know what? Here's the funniest joke, though. And you as a Second City alum and me as a uh, UCB alum will both be able to share this. Uh, I always said that improv's not a cult because in a cult, at least somebody's making money. Woo! Uh, uh, <laughs> ooh, I would actually like to say that uh, I'm not an alum. I'm a dropout of, of all Chicago improv. <laughs> Uh, training centers. <laughs> as soon as you said alum, I'm like, yeah, I'm alum. I'm like, no, I dropped out of Second City, IO, Annoyance, CIC. <laughs> I, if there was a place that was like, Carlos, we could teach you something, I was just like, I, you can try. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, it's but it's awesome though because obviously, so so Rivals is like a, a Chicago-based stream tremendous amount of talent in Chicago. I've been fortunate enough to visit there and go there a couple of different times. The, the, the Mecca, you know, birthplace of comedy um, uh, with all of those different institutions there. Um, as someone whose improv background definitely influences the way I run games and streams, I can only assume you're the same way. It's also just very evident in all of the games you have run, where you bring an incredible agility, flexibility, and sense of listening there. Um, to just open it up to you broadly, right out of the gate, uh, what drew you to improv, um, and what did you take out of it when it comes to running games? Yeah, what drew me to improv? Um, what drew me is I had uh, spent most of my time in this band that you brought up. Uh, and so, like, I, I worked very hard in this band for a very long time. I learned a lot of stuff, a lot of skills that I use today 
is what I really liked about the band, right? Like I, we needed a poster for a show. So I learned, you know, Illustrator, you know, we needed a headshot. So I learned Photoshop, you know, and, and camera work. Uh, and I was done. Like, I was like, you know, these are my best friends. And, you know, uh, uh, this is what I've been working so hard for. I'm like, it's not going anywhere. This is the last, this EP is the last thing I do. Um, and then the, we got picked up. We got picked up by Victory Records, who has like, you know, Taking Back Sunday, Thursday, A Day to Remember. They have like all these big bands. And, you know, uh, the guys in my band were like, y you're cool to leave, dude. But also like, just give it a shot, you know, like give it a shot. So I, I think I was done, but I gave it an extra year. And don't get me wrong. Like that year was awesome. Like, you know, they flew us out to LA. We got to, you know, for a month with a producer, like, um, it, got to put out an album that I'm really proud of. Um, but you know, we were driving back from Indiana and, uh, after like a full, you know, cross country tour and we got into a car accident and, uh, I like wigged out. Um, <laughs> and I wigged out not because like certain death or anything like that, even though it was really bad. Like we, we, uh, you know, uh, skid out, uh, over a bridge and hit the side and then the trailer spun and t-boned us on the side so it was just like and like hit us and like i just kind of freaked out and i wasn't freaking out like like oh my god i just died i was freaking out I was like oh my god i just died doing something i don't want to do um and like i was the only one who was like who didn't like half the guys like live with their parents and like lived in the basement or whatever. And then, you know, the other guy had like, you know, a, a wife and, uh, you know, with a very steady job and I was living, you know, and had a, a support system. Right. And I had none of those things. And I was like, I quit my job to do this. Uh, we're also on the road and I'm not making any money. I need to start making money. And, you know, to the guys credit, like they were enjoying their time, uh, on the road, enjoying having fun and playing shows and touring. And I was like, I want to go to that next level. Like we're already in hot topic and like stuff, Best Buy and stuff like that. I'm like, I want to be like, not on MTV too. I want to be at MTV. Uh, and it's, it's this, I thought the grind would change, but it didn't, uh, it just becomes the same thing. And then, so I quit the band. I hire, I had already quit my, my job of like 10 years, uh, to, to do the band. Uh, so I, I quit that as well. And I'm just in my apartment having a mental breakdown. Like I really was like, just because like, imagine your entire identity is gone, right? Like I'm a workaholic. Yeah. So like I put everything into my band, I put everything into this job and I had neither and didn't have a support system with like friends and stuff because they were literally in the band or they were friends. And, you know, I, I felt so much shame and so much guilt for like giving up on this thing that I helped build um, that like I was having these like really bad panic attacks, like. Like almost amazed with myself on how bad they were, like, you know, like, I, <laughs> like, like at one point, at one point I was just like, uh. I started getting obsessed with like weird stuff. Like I remember I was going to make secret books. Uh, like, have you ever opened up a book and it's like hollowed out and like you, you can like store stuff. I was going to make that Brennan. I was going to be a millionaire by making secret books. Uh, like this is what I was going to do. 
right? Like it was just like <laughs> weird stuff like that, right? And I remember I, I was having this really bad panic attack and um, I was just curled up in a ball, like naked on my bed. Cause I had just taken a shower, like a cold shower to help, like maybe that would help or whatever. And I remember just like looking above uh, myself naked on a bed crying because I thought my girlfriend was gonna get hit by a truck. That's how delusional I was. She was in the other room watching like Real Housewives or something. Uh, and she, and I just remember looking at this, like this, this, this person curled up on the bed, all wet, surrounded by secret books and thinking like, this cannot be it. Like this cannot be, you know what I mean? Like I couldn't, I did not peek right here. Uh, so, you know, I did the responsible thing, therapy, uh, you know, I medication. Um, and my therapist was like, you know, maybe there's something else out there. Maybe there's comedy, you know, maybe. And I'm like, I can't do that. I, I can't. She's like, try stand up. Um, so I went to go sign up. <laughs> I went to go sign up at Second City. She came with a brochure. She's like, here, there's, you know, they, they have programs at this place. And I, I'm like, okay. So I went to go sign up um, for, um, for like stand up or some type of, it, it wasn't like a major course that they had there. It was like a floating thing. Yeah. Um, and I, and I can tell that it was sold out based on like the person in front of me and I wigged out. So when the lady asked me what I wanted, I said improv one, like the guy in front of me did. Uh, so I just signed up for like improv one. Um, and yeah, that's how I got started with improv. I met my wife in that class though. Like, wow. I met my wife in that class, which like, yeah. Here's the thing, as someone who recently became engaged to a woman he met in the UCB cafe. Oh. Uh, uh, where, because I would, I, that's how I met, that's how I met Izzy. Izzy uh, worked at the, uh, the Inner Sanctum Cafe. I was working upstairs it, uh, uh, in, the, in classrooms and uh, I would always come and get a coffee before class. And that's how we first became friends. So the, you know what? Uh, uh, for all of the toils and tribulations of the various improv schools and structures, you meet really wonderful people. <laughs> you do. Yeah, I mean, because when it comes down to it, you're just trying to make it work, right? Like you're just trying to make it work. And then, you know, there's there's the other thing of just like, everyone is doing it for different reasons, right? Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, one thing in common, like there's something that you need to get out of it, whatever. Um, but it's all like layered under like some type of excuse. Like someone wants to be on SNL. Someone just wants something to do on the weekends. Someone wants to be able to do speeches and it's all masked under the same, all these different masks for the same thing, which is like, I want to know myself better. I want to, I want to be able to talk, um, to communicate these things to people. Yeah. You know? Uh, 100% true story, total tangent. Cause there's so much no, no, fascinating. Uh, I, to, to your set point of different kinds of people that go to those classes, I one time had, a, I was noting someone on the scene in an improv 101 uh, when we were getting to the portion of describing game and talking about like, oh, well, here's how you would sort of exploit the comedy you've already discovered there. And the person straight up to my face in front of the class went, oh, I am only taking this because my corporate manager told me I needed to get better at public speaking. So I don't need to be funny. Just look at me <laughs> yeah. in the eyes that I don't need to be funny. And I literally went like, Ah, so do you just want me to not, if you're not being funny, do you want me to just sort of glide over that? And he was like, yeah, 100%. <laughs> you, first of all, w one thing I'm putting together from all of this, if, and uh, by the way, tangent, I'm like all over the place. Your therapist having a brochure does the, the little like 
socialist conspiratorial part of me is picturing some cigar smoking like <laughs> improv empresario being yeah. like being like listen sister you got a lot of clients who need a lot of help you pass yeah. off these improv manuals uh it's funny because she actually looked like a hand with like a wig on and like he was smoking a cigar <laughs> behind a curtain talking as her <laughs> <laughs> You gotta come and take improv classes. Um, but what I'm also, what's very fascinating, and I've like in the period of time, because we started working together earlier of this last year in a really exciting way when, because you were getting approached to help us purely as a tech wizard. And when I heard from our producers, like, oh, Carlos Luna is going to be helping us with this like digital season, I was like, Carlos Luna is an incredible performer. I know Carlos from Rivals. He's helping, and they were like, yeah, Carlos gonna be doing that. And I was like, well, we gotta get Carlos like in front of the camera at some point. And then pirates kind of came together and it was this very funny thing where you and I were emailing multiple times a week, both for like extremely technical, like battle mat stuff for Unsleeping City and then for like character background and stuff for cheese. I was, I, I, I will 100% admit that I was uh, confused sometimes. Like there was like a solid <laughs> week where I was confused. Uh, because there was, there was like three things going on at once. Like there was like three different positions that I had going on for one at once. And like only half the people like knew that, but like most people would talk to me, like, I know what they're talking about. And I was like, yes, absolutely. I will be at that meeting. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know in what aspect, what respect I was going to be there, but I'm like, yeah, we'll figure it out. It'll be fine. It'll yeah. be fine. Just get, you know, get everyone in the meeting and we'll just, we'll, we'll figure, we'll sort everything out in there. Uh, honestly, a terrible meeting philosophy to have. Um, <laughs> um, but from the beginning, like my first intro to working with you was this guy is a polymath. Like, this guy has this set of skills. And even just from talking to you about like, whatever the challenge is, I'm gonna master the set of skills to go to that. And then this wild thing of you being signed to a label, which is oh. a <laughs> level of, so in yeah. other words, like you have this musical ability as well. Like going back to you as an adolescent, I guess like, when did you discover Tabletop? And as an adolescent, were were you aware then that you were gonna have to make a I guess you were gonna have to make a call based on what spoke to you because you have such a broad set of talents that it wasn't like well I'm only good at this one thing so I should probably do that like when did you I guess when did you start finding these games and what was your vision of yourself like as an adolescent and going into like adulthood and finding jobs for what you saw as your career path yeah, I think a lot of what, um, like my childhood is very weird. Like we we didn't have uh, like uh, TMI. Uh, <laughs> uh, I I didn't have. We grew up on the south side of Chicago. Uh, my father drinking problem. My mother uh, kind of absent. Um, and they also didn't teach us Spanish, so we can communicate with relatives and stuff like that. Um, and you know, we lived in a bad neighborhood, so we kind of, I wasn't allowed to cross the street. Like I wasn't allowed around the block. Uh, I, they wanted us to go to a better school. So I wasn't, so we went out of district. So I had to take several buses to get to school. Uh, and because of that, I wasn't allowed to talk to kids at school. Uh, I wasn't like, or be friends with them or tell them where I live. And they definitely couldn't go to my house. So I spent like the majority of my childhood up to like maybe 13, 14 years old, um, 
completely alone. Uh, like my parents would work all day. I would, I would come home latchkey kid. That's what we called them in like, <laughs> that time. uh, but like I would come home and it, we would just have to like lock the door and that would be it until like, you know, eight o'clock at night or whatever. Um, so I mean, I wasn't really like, I wasn't socialized, uh, mm-hmm. until like way later in life. Um, I, you know, I was able to run things for like my little cousins and stuff like that. And I think that's where, you know, my, uh, entertainment side, like, you know, I would take care of the kids in the basement and stuff like that. So I think that's where that comes from. Um, but as far as like knowing myself or something like that, like my parents are very strange. Like they were very much like, uh, figure it out. That was their entire thing. Figure it out. Um, uh, just lazy parents, basically. I don't want to like bash. They don't. They don't watch the show. Uh, I, although yeah. I should give them a dropout. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but hey, very, very lazy, very lazy parenting of just like figure it out, figure it out. So you know, I taught myself like everything that I needed to know. So like I taught myself my version of things. So like I spent a lot of time afraid of like not knowing the real thing. Like they basically like got a secondhand trumpet, gave it to me and was like, okay, now you're in band. And they told the band director that I I had been taking lessons. I had never taken a lesson before in my life. So like as a child having to have, there was like a bunch of little lies like that as a child where I'd have to like pretend like I knew how to read music or pretend like I knew how to, I won't get into it, but like basically pretend my way through a lot of my childhood. Um, so you know, in, when I was like 14, we moved to, um, the suburbs. Um, and that was like a whole culture shock for me where I was just like, Whoa. So I, I kind of didn't get along with people. I, I didn't hang out with people there, uh, in the, in Chicago. And then when we got to the suburbs, I didn't hang out, like I had a core group of like some weirdo friends, like everyone mm-hmm. else does. Uh, so what I think when I got out of high school, I was like, I'm going to show them. Like, I'm going to show them, like, I'm going to, I'll be signed. They say I can't do this. I, I don't care, you know. And also, you know, Hispanic fam, poor family, their kids do not know how to go to college. Like, your parents don't know how to go to college. You don't know how to go to college. That's what happens all the time. Just like, how does, how does it work? How do applications work? How does, you know, applying, how does getting money and loans work? Like you, we don't grow up knowing that type of stuff, or I didn't, at least my family didn't know my cousins didn't know. And like, no one knew, you know? So it was just like, kind of my entire life has been like, figure it out. Um, so I always assumed, here's the thing. I always assumed everyone's life was like that though. Like I always assumed everyone's life was figure it out. Um, no matter what it was, like, I figured like, you know, you don't know how to spell something, figure it out. You know, you don't know how to do this, figure it out. So by the time I became an adult, I had already like not cultivated skills, but cultivated this way of learning, this quick way of learning. So whenever I had an interest, I can teach it to myself. Um, and I think a lot of people didn't have that. And as I get older, I start looking up. It's like being an autodidact. Like, how do you teach yourself these things? And there was other things that didn't fit too. Like, you know, that I found out way later in life, like, you know, ADHD and like aphantasia and like all that type of stuff. Um, but yeah, like finding gaming didn't happen until like, I really loved improv and I really loved the game there. And I had a buddy, um, that was like, um, have you ever heard of one shot, the one shot network? Oh, James Uh, D'Amato. James D'Amato. Yes, of course. Of course. So James started One Shot Network uh, with my friend uh, Patrick O'Rourke. 
love mm-hmm. Patrick. Um, and Patrick owned the studio at that time. And I was like, hey, dude, you have an extra spot there. Can I rent it from you? And he was just like, no problem. No one uses it. You could have it. Just contribute to the space, the the collective I have here. I was like, awesome. And one night he's like, have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons? I'm like, no. He's like, let's play. And I literally still have it on like my Google calendar of like the first time I played Dungeons and Dragons. And then the second time I saw him, he was like, do you want to start a podcast? And the second time I played Dungeons and Dragons from then on forward was recorded, like was always recorded. (laughs) Oh my God, man. That is that's incredible. Well, that's so. So were all of these um, in, in terms of these again, like incredible areas of again, like autodidactic, as you've said, expertise. Were these running concurrently? Like, were you playing D and D and recording it at the same time that the music stuff was going on? At the no. same time that so this so sort of improv and gaming kind of took off. Yeah. So after music, I was like, I'm done with music forever. I'm never going to get sucked into something like that again. And then, you know, jumped right into editing a podcast with music and like sound effects and doing all that because when he explained, so I had never listened to a podcast and this is how I work, like where I feel more inspired by not knowing what's been done. I, I feel more inspired by like, I don't know what this is. I feel like I'm inventing it awesome. Now I'm really excited about it. Instead of just like, here's all the other stuff. What can I do to contribute? It's like, no, let's just find out what, you know, if there's one thing that like is, has always served me, it's like my gut, my gut feeling and like knowing how I feel and how other people might feel about this project. Um, so that, that's basically what happened. Like after split from music, I was doing improv and, you know, I had a weekly show skull mountain shout out, uh, you know, that ran for like two years. And while I was doing that, I was doing dungeon rats, which ran for like also two years, two and a half years, Mm -hmm. which, you know, uh, that led to D and D listening to it, asking to do one of their tomb of annihilation things, um, which I overproduced the hell of it. And they were like, Hey, you want to do this new show rivals we're putting together? And I was like, yes. Uh, and that led rivals that took me to LA and then they were like, uh, for an event for a D and D event. And then I met roll 20 there. Uh, and they're like, Hey, you do a lot of cool stuff. Can you do some stuff for us? And I was like, yeah. And then that led to this and more just good things happen when you leave the house, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, man. Wow. 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 Uh, what, what a, uh, uh, I am like staggered again like first of all there's a lot to be said for work ethic in terms of you as a person like we've talked also again like off camera about all of the projects that you've got going on you're a guy who keeps a lot of plates spinning keeps a lot of balls in the air and um but also again about there's also a degree of this is like being very multi-talented like not everybody has like a musical gift and also is very funny and also has the kind of like producerial logistical mindset to like get projects up and running, which is its own special kind of like initiative and executive function to be like, I'm gonna take something that's an idea and make it a reality in the world, right? Yeah, um, there's a there's a lot of good quotes that circle in my head when I'm trying to find that, when mm-hmm. I'm trying to find that. Uh, God, this is, maybe you'll, no one's gonna understand this reference. You, you probably will though. Do you remember the movie, The Edge? Bizarrely, yes, I do remember the edge. Yes, 
Anthony Hopkins, like uh, one of the Baldwins or something. Claudia Schiffer's in it. It's is very... that the one where Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin fight a bear? There's a bear. Well, they that fight they... a bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very survivalist. They have to survive in the world. The one he's gonna kill him, or I don't know, whatever. But he says, "What one man can do, another man can do." Uh, and I think about that all the time because I would hear so much from people just like, well, I can't do that because I'm not this, or I can't do that because I'm not this. And I just look at the problem and there's, and I just say that, like, I just think about like what one man can do, another man can do. And there's very little talent involved in most things. Like most people who like do something that you love, that you consider talented, they're in the top 10% for sure. But like, they are the only reason you know them is because they're in the top 1%. You know what I mean? Like they're not they're not the one. They just are the shown 1%. There's a guy at home that is just like me that is maybe even better but like at what I do, but like he will never be shown. I think I about this all the time, man. I think about it all, especially with that idea of like, what the hell does talent really mean? And again, oh. like I've like I've always kind of been that the person to I have so many friends and so many family members that I consider to be the funniest people in the world. And you would think like, hey, didn't you come up through like a comedy theater? Aren't those the funniest people in the world? And I would often say like, well, yeah, many of them are, but the skill that you're practicing when you're going out and doing improv shows or doing standup isn't just being funny. It's in some ways it's like, do you have the grind? Are you going to go to all yes. these open mics until the right person sees you? Or are you going to make the web series day in and day out and put it up and it gets 15 views and 18 yes. views? Are you going to do like, are you going to do the thing over and over and over again and just be like, I bet my head is harder than the world. And if I keep yeah. ramming into it over and over again, but that idea of like, some of the funniest people I know are never going to have a career in comedy. A, because they maybe have, it's, I, I think I just said this in conversation the other day where I was like, um, I was like, the thing that separates a professional comedian from someone who doesn't do comedy for a living isn't the sharpness of their sense of humor. Sometimes it's like a full lack of shame or embarrassment. It's like- Support, a support system. You support know what I mean? System. Like, it's like, yeah. oh, I'm going to get up on stage and do this. Like, I'm not afraid. And, and so, yeah, I think the point you're making about like the support system and even again, that idea of like, um, uh, you know, like, like how we tap into human potential is as much a referendum on the logistics of our societies, who is sought after and offered things on a silver platter versus yeah. who is made to like, well, maybe you can have this if you fight tooth and nail for it every yes. day. Um, yeah, access has a lot, uh, access, money, definitely have a lot to do with it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like access and money will get you there. Like, you know, it will get you halfway there for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, like I, I, I find it all things being equal, like me and you, we drop us in the city, same city with the same amount of money, all things being equal. Um, I think about all the time, like I have like four stages to make like any, anything like, uh, any project, like, and how, and how to focus any project. Um, I think about like the first thing you need to do is just work. So like, if you want to be in a band, if you want to be, if you want to do uh, a show or whatever, you have to do it. So that's work. And it, it's the first level. And people don't really think about that. They're just like, oh yeah, I worked so hard today. It's just like, well, you did work. That's the thing you want to do. I describe work as the thing you want to do. Wow. Um, and a lot of people don't. 
a lot of people describe work as like this entire blanket for everything. Everything is work. If I'm tired, work affected me because it's work. And I consider work the thing I want to do. So if if I don't want to do it anymore, then I just stop doing that work. Like it's just that simple, but that's only the first stage that you need. So identify what work is. If work is doing your web series, you have to do your web series. Like you have to do the work. Like it's just that simple, right? Like, so that takes us to the second step, which is do work consistently. So the thing you want to do, you have to do it consistently. So you have a web series. It's not enough to do it one time. You have to do it a lot of times. So then that takes you to the second step, the third step. And the third step is hard work. And I describe hard work as the thing you do not want to do. And people never think about this. Like they never think about it. I describe hard work as the thing you don't want to do because hard work, like you almost, if you group it, it does it a disservice if you group it into the work column. Uh, Because if you don't want to be on Twitter and it's really hard for you to do social media, but man, you want to be the biggest DM possible. You want to be you know, more popular than Matt Mercer. Well, you're not doing hard work then. Hard work's the thing you don't want to do. So like how much is your, how much is your like activity, your output, your productivity going to work and hard work? The fourth one is just do hard work consistently, but you got to do them in that order because if you yeah. don't, if you're not like, if you don't be, if you're not GMing on a regular basis, like, and you're only doing the hard work, which is social media, it's just like, well, it's unbalanced anyways. Um, yeah. Well, I love that, man. And this is exactly, I know what, th- I know that this is a particular sphere of certainly expertise and also interest and passion for you is the idea of talking about creator made and owned and inspired projects. Yeah. You know, people are very, very right to say that we are in a renaissance of podcasting and streaming and a lot of barriers for entry have come down, right? In terms of being able to uh, make content, right? That you can grab a serviceable podcasting equipment for an amount of money that is not yes. equivalent to what it t- takes to like make a film on actual like 35 millimeter or 16 millimeter. Yeah. Film, right? You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. it's, it's just, it's a very different set of circumstances. But with that said, like hearing your passion for that and hearing about that, it, I, I've had great conversations also with B. Dave Walters about very similar stuff to this, who he has a very similar philosophy where, you know, I, I think it's very funny for, for, you know, you people like B. Dave that I would say have this very like very inspiring attitude towards the passion for work, what it takes to get a project up off the ground, but also in that way of understanding like um, the, the the analogy that uh, I used on, on B. Dave's uh, podcast was talking about like the attitude of work as it relates to capitalism and these larger structures mm. that are fundamentally exploitative and then work as it relates to you, the individual person, was the metaphor I used with B. Dave was it's like if we were in a running man style death carnival of like oh, this whole this whole death yeah. carnival, and someone's like, What do I do to survive the death carnival? And I always have this split brain thing where I go, like, I want to say two things. Number one, the death carnival is wrong, and we shouldn't have to be <laughs> a death carnival. And the weird Hunger Games aristocrats laughing at us in the death carnival, we should devote some portion of our time to organizing to overthrow the aristocrats who run the death carnival. Now, that being said, 
never go to sleep in the death carnival and also if the Give rodeo yeah yeah if the if the rodeo clown with the chainsaw comes out take this sharpened toothbrush and stab him in the neck yeah. <laughs> like i very i often feel very torn about yeah. like hustle mindset because it's like yes hustle mindset exploitative also if you if you, you know, like you do need to have that hard work and sometimes put yourself in that position of like hey who's going to advocate for me other than myself in this moment pushing myself right that's um, that's really hard to know like that's something i that's something people don't understand and it took me forever to understand i i had a if i build it they will come mindset when it came to my work yeah. and it's so dumb like, like like it's stupid and i did it for years because and here's why because marketing is so good that it makes you think that you found the things that inspire you right it, it makes it makes you think that like this thing existed you found it and then of course it got big because like it deserved to get big because you found another and you liked it and obviously it must be good it has nothing to do with that it has everything to do with the fact that like you know right place, right time, access, money, drive, like being the last man standing, the the guy hitting his head against the wall. Like it is a constant and consistent thing that you have to do. And like, just being honest with yourself on what your goals are. Cause like, I talk to people that are like, you know, they pitch me that's like, oh, I'm doing this game and it's going to be like this and it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, cool. Well, what's the plan? You know? And they're like, oh, well, I'm still putting it together. I'm like, you are far away. Like you are very far away of like, of hyping this up to me because like, what if, what if, what if it comes out for three, four years from now, you're the guy who took five years to make this game as opposed to like, here it is, here's for you to look at. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like showing, you know what it'd be like if we went into a Home Depot and I handed a bunch of parts to you and I was like, look at these, look at these gears and these nails and, and these pipes. And you're, you just be like, what? And like, I'm like, it's going to be a bathroom one day, you know, like, yeah. okay. You would think I was insane. Like you really would think I was insane, you know? We would stop to get the hot dog as we walked out of the Home Depot, but you would be thinking the entire time as you opened up your RC Cola, this man is insane. Like I, yeah. oh, I I'm so there with you. There is nothing, I, I feel like, again, I feel a very strong sense of, of recognition in what you're saying of, I forget when it was, it might've been when I was working as a PA on lawn or, you know, there's like 16 hour days where you're like getting coffee for someone. And you're like, I remember like literally my boot came off in a muddy field when I was pushing this like 200 pound camera cart through the room. Oh. And it was so funny. Just the, the irony of my shoe came off, the cart's in the middle of the field and the tarp is over the expensive equipment while I am totally <laughs> getting pneumonia in the rain. And you have this moment of like, I never want to talk to an idea man again. Yeah. Like everybody has ideas. Who who are who's the who's the work people? Because yeah. the idea people, anyone who's like, my contribution is I'm in this big picture place and I say <laughs> My eye fell asleep like halfway through. I was like uh yeah, ideas are fucking useless, dude. Useless. Like they are. They're they useless. Are. You know useless. what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's yeah, ideas are like giving me a sci-fi novel and saying this is the future. Like yeah, it's a novel. It doesn't really exist until you could actually build it, until you could actually make that thing happen. Um yeah. and and I respect that way more. You know what I mean? Like when I when I see people and like I can like one of my favorite things to, and this is probably shitty to do in the band was just like I could tell 
where the band was in their career based on the gear that they had. And not that it was expensive gear, but it was based on the cases, like based on like, did they have an ATA flight case? Did they have a soft case for their bass? Like did the, uh, did the drummer have, um, you know, hard shell, uh, cases? Did they have a trailer? Did they take three cars to get to this show? You know, how fast did the drummer set up his drum kit? Because like, that's a big part about being in a lineup, like how fast you can do it. So it's just like, those are the things that I look for when I see people's body of work. Like I, I, anyone can be a cast member on any of these shows. Like anyone can perform, anyone can do it, but can you perform consistently? Can you always show up even, you know, can you, and can you do, and are you doing something and contributing to that space? Or are, are you just a person that just shows up? And I'm not saying that that's a problem to just show up because like, whatever, but try not to take credit for other people's stuff is, is basically what I'm saying. Um, yeah, it's, it's wild. Man. No, like, I definitely, that feels very, yeah. Like I love again that you're hitting home this idea of consistency, which is very, for, again, for people that want to create media, you know, I, I see that again, like how little a part of the component that talent is when it comes to consistency, hard work, when it comes to, again, like that, um, well, there's that, there's, I remember this great thing an improv teacher told me back in an early improv class of like, what is, what does all this practice and rehearsal do? What does all this improv training do? Someone's like, can you really teach someone to be funny? Can you really teach someone how to be funny and how to have a good thing? And I remember the teacher saying some version or something to the effect of, look, everyone's going to have that night where they're on fire. Yeah. Everyone's going to have that night where lightning strikes. The teacher was like, what I'm here to do is over time prevent you. I'm not here to raise your top. I'm here to lift up the bottom. I'm here to have it be that you've done this so consistently that your worst shows where you're tired, uninspired, grouchy, not into it, your worst show, it's pretty good. People walk, yeah. people walk out and they go, that was good. I'm glad we came and saw that. And it's yeah. like, if I can, if I can get your floor to there, then I've done my job. And I was like, that's so cool. That, that reoriented everything for me. It, like, yeah. Very, very similar to that. Uh, I remember, I remember thinking about that and, and like kind of figuring that like, oh, there is no great, like there is no, like there are like, don't get me wrong. There are some like greats, you know what I mean? That like, I won't, you know, yeah. you know, yeah. Pasquazi and, you know, yeah. DJ and Dave, exactly. Like, oh, messy and like all the, like the, the freaking phenomenal. Um, uh, but I remember the first time we had played, like, uh, it, it, it was just around the corner from IO, but it's a small little bar and they always had, um, Im uh, improvisers there, but they never had an audience. It was just like, it was like where improv went to die every night, every Tuesday night. Uh, and you would just play into the void. Like when you play in front of no one uh, or one person or two people, or maybe people that you admire because they're the next team coming up and you start playing into the void and you just start losing your shit. You know what I mean? Like you just start throwing anything to like hit the wall. Uh, once you can start controlling that, once you can start like really, and, 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 and I, th I believe it's always on, even when they're roaring with laughter, I believe that's always on. But if you can stay in that, that, that state of flow, uh, where you just don't, don't give it away, don't give it up and don't sell it for cheap. Like 
you can pretty much do anything. Like it's such a powerful feeling. Like, uh, I don't know. Oh, I love that, man. I did there. And there's, there's uh, that, the, the kind of tenacity you're describing, which again, I think there is something almost every way that I see creativity talked about in public spaces, I very rarely relate to because everything about the idea of inspiration or amuse or anything like that, I'm always like, inspiration, this needs to be done by the end of the week. What do you mean inspiration? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inspiration, what are you talking about? Uh, uh, and that kind of grit and tenacity you're talking about, I love. I remember doing like touring shows for, for UCB and those first couple touring shows when it's like, oh, this is not a group of 201 students in your home court theater where everybody already knows who you are because you've been to McManus and you've all had a burger together and everyone's feeling groovy. This is some straight up normies in, <laughs> in a huge auditorium theater. And those first moments of like, hey, you just did your killer move, never misses, to absolute crickets. Are you oh. gonna get scared? Are you gonna get scared? Or yeah. and I and I remember learning that same tenacity oh of like, nope, I'm you just stay in there. Yeah, the ship is taking some hits. You just saw one of the engines go off the wing. <laughs> we are not gonna lose our cool, baby. <laughs> because as soon as you lose, you start it's quicksand, right? Like exactly. as soon as you start fighting it, you start falling faster. Like it, yeah. it happens every single time and and also like i will say and again going back to like there is no there's talent i guess but like most of it isn't talent what we call talent isn't really talent or whatever um because it's just like skill it's survival skills and like i i, I do think that when when you when you can control the audience. You know what I mean? Like there is a lot, like again, access, money, these things always play a part in your audience. So like when you, like where they are, where they're seeing the show, like there's a big difference. Uh, what's the word? Uh, when you expect something from some, from um, oh, like, uh, like whether you're at Carnegie Hall or you're in someone's basement, like expectations, yeah. whatever your expect, like if you can, expectations matter so much when you are creating something, because again, going back to like being inspired, what artwork is, my artwork speaks for itself. It doesn't artwork. I believe is 360 degrees. It's the painting itself. It is the man who, who, who painted it, the paintbrush he used. It's the nail on the wall. It's the wall is the wall in a museum or a basement. Like it is 360 degrees. Your game that you are making is just a small fraction of like everything that people are going to buy in order to look at your painting, to look at your game. So like, you need to be aware of that. Like, when people are like, oh, I don't have anything to promote. It's just like you yourself is something to promote. The tools that you use, your process, every part of it. And like being able to like that awesome game that I found, is it awesome if I paid $1,000 for it or if I paid $1 for it? If I played it with my grandpa or if I played it with, with this guy I hate at work. You know what I mean? Like what makes a thing isn't usually the thing. It's all the stuff attached to it. Um, and people just hyper-focus on that thing like i have an awesome story i have this and that and it's just like well what about you because you're kind of freaking me out right now <laughs> you know what i mean like i i don't want to watch your show you're kind of scaring me <laughs> you know like uh... <laughs> um oh man that's i i 
it's like I, I hope I hope people that are listening right now understand the incredible world class education they are getting in <laughs> in like well just like again the 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 mindset that it takes and again also just like the practical tactical advice here and I think I, I do I do want to move into that as well in talking about like your ideas and attitudes because I, I think that like the spirit of what you're saying truly could be applicable no matter what your passion Please. is Everything. it's applicable to whatever your passion is this idea i think that even just that four piece of like work work consistently hard work hard work consistently is like a beautiful analogy and again i think all of that you know definitely jobs with the idea of like you know self-care oxygen mask on first oh, yeah. all that stuff is groovy but again it's that it is that weird thing of like i want to tell you about the problems with the death carnival but also let's be real here's how you survive the death carnival, death carnival. right yeah. um and uh I, within that to narrow our focus from like your dual sort of like you're doing improv as you're discovering gaming i would love a little bit of biography about like especially like how rivals started up and also talking about like um both your your thoughts about like expression through the game itself and then also as someone who's like a very foundational pillar of the actual play space writ large um what your thoughts are towards that as a medium and like maybe especially, you know, cause you've worked with so many people through Roll20 and through everything else, come and done Dimension 20 with us with, and work with the Rivals team and Dungeon Rats and everything like that. Um, uh, what are your thoughts about like the medium as art and the game as expression, both from how you discovered them towards where they're moving now? Yeah, that's so interesting. Cause I, I think about that all the time. I, I we had we had talked earlier about um, what happens when access and production catches up to to art? You know, what happens when it becomes accessible? Um, it keeps moving because we always need to produce and set ourselves apart. And, you know, and it usually goes back and forth because it's like it's a circle. Uh, so it's usually like, you know, guy singing into a tin can. Uh, it's just like, are you singing into a tin can? Well, I, you know, I'm doing an audio drama now into the tin can. I'm, you know, recording into the tin can. I'm now overly producing. We're the Beatles now. Um, so, you know, I think about that all the time. Uh, yeah, where is it going? I think, you know, for me, actual, like, I don't get into the mechanics uh, of the game. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I have to be in the mood. Uh, I have to be in the mood for both, right? Like, I have to be in the mood to, you know, role play. I have to be in the mood to, um, uh, you know, care about you know, crunchy numbers and stuff like that. It really depends who I'm with and what type of mood I'm in. And I think that's a good way to look at it because like you are not all going to make the best thing in the world. And also you guys have to have goals. So like a big part of rivals was like, let's set our goals and expectations. Um, you know, I, I might've talked about this before. I've talked about this somewhere. Um, but like rivals, the first time we had all hung out was, uh, we did character creation. And, you know, we were all having fun in this basement and we we're all making characters. And then, like, it, it, I had decided beforehand I wanted to have this discussion. So, you know, I closed the door and I said, like, OK, um, this is kind of what's going to happen when we go live, because we're going to be the first all POC show uh, uh, that's promoted on the Dungeons and Dragons Network. Um, and we have to be better than everyone not better like you know we have to be better humans 
then we have to have this conversation. Well, you know, and it's a fan, it's, it's an amazing thing where like this conversation was happening. This might've been the first time this conversation happened across all the shows on the network, you know, um, where we were like having this conversation of just like, well, what do we do when they do this on stream? Like, what do we do when they tweet this at us? Um, what, what do we do when they say there's no black elves, black elves are drow and but you know what I mean? Like, what do we do? Um, you know, and also we need our, our production needs to be better. Like I need to learn more about production. I need to learn more about sound. I need to learn more. You know, we have to set a table. We have to spend money to rent space. Uh, so we can put on this show that is better. Um, it, it really, and then we decided like, Hey, like we want to, we want to tell a story, but at the same time, like it, shows become like lead singers, you know, like uh, mm -hmm. DMs become lead singers in bands. Uh, so it was important to us that we switch, we switch DMs and we, we, we do it season by season and give everyone an opportunity because that's what we're about. We're about opportunity. Um, so even if no one's going to give us the opportunity, we could at least do it for ourselves. Um, so that was a big part of what Rivals did. Um, and then, yeah, like we all became really good friends and we, it, the show, you know, it's that improv thing where you sometimes can be judgmental, but then sometimes you're not um, about like performance. So I know some frustrations that people had uh, were about their performance and, you know, they, they felt bad about it and they want to be more like this, but like, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. You know, you could just mm -hmm. be better and listen more next time. And, you know, I, that's something that I see a lot of people put on themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think, as an audience member, I just want to see people having fun. I, I feel like the the good story uh, comes out of that fun, and I don't believe it could be manufactured. I don't believe that it could be like self made. I don't believe if 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 I tell you after the show, like Brennan, you have to stop with the jokes. You have to stop. You know. You know. You have to be serious. I, I want to run a serious show and take people to another dimension and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, like just, I have to trust that everyone at the table is following their gut. Right. Yeah. And it, it's that thing that like, at a certain point, if we go around the table enough, we're all going to sync up and line and everything's just going to click at the same time. We're all going to say the word, the same word at the same time. Right. Like it's all going to click out. And that's how I feel about it. And I know a lot of people don't feel that way. And a lot of people feel like they can massage and maneuver and stuff like that. And there, and there is something there is something to be said about relationships and there is something to be said about, again, expectations, like where you are, like, you know, we're, we're playing on a, on a comedy show. Uh, that's a little bit different than if we're, you know, playing a, a dramatic show or something like that. But I, yeah, just, it's hard. Like, where's the medium going? Like, I don't know, like the access blew up. Uh, everyone has it. Uh, and every, there's one, sh one thing that everyone does not have. And that one thing is time. So like chances are you do not have enough time to watch more than two or three shows tops. So, you know, who owns that space and how you decide that's who gets your time is very important now. And you, people have to be thinking again, what excites them and what do they want to see? I, I work backwards a lot of time on my projects mm -hmm. where like I think about what excites me. And I, I, I'll use like empathy to like work back on like what excites you, like what do you want to see? Like Dimension 20 is such a great show because it, it, it finds a, like if Critical Role 
invented the genre of spectator actual plays, mm-hmm. um, Dimension 20 is trying to perfect it, right? Um, which I honestly didn't think I come the improv background tells me that like you can't record danger, but like you guys prove that you can. Like <laughs> I love that. I love that about like I remember like TJ Jagodowski said that like you can't record danger. And like there's a sense of danger that is happening at the table, that is happening on stage, that's very hard to do. Uh and I think, you know, you could see that you guys are all friends and you know, you know, again, the relationship, the expectations. You know, I I, I don't know if 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 actual plays can be judged higher than the people who worked on it. Like, I don't know if they can, if they'll, if there can be a critic of actual plays, you know what I mean? Like the only critic of an actual play can be only the people at that table. No, I, I totally hear you, man. I mean, it's very interesting to see people apply literary analysis to actual play yeah. where, where you go like, Ooh, like we, like, like you guys are seeing what we in the biz call a first draft, you know, like this was, (laughs) this was improvised. It was improvised. Um, But first of all, thank you for the very kind words in there about the show. And, and secondly, I'll just say that like, there's this, I feel like there's just a, I'm like responding to a, there's a tremendous amount of insight and wisdom in what you're saying that I'm like ingesting as you're saying it and trying to like, keep up. Brennan, we would have closed down bars. Like we would have, (laughs) we would have closed down bars talking, like speculating on what this sentence means or like. I know it feels so, I'd like, (laughs) had we been in the same city doing improv at the same time? Oh, I wish I would have been, had you been in McManus till the (laughs) hours of the morning or whatever Chicago's version of McManus is. What, what was it? Uh, it closed down. Once I once I moved, it closed down. Oh, no. uh, I forget the name. Yeah. yeah. Whatever the whatever the comedy. It was, was a Mick. It, it was it was it was a, a bar like a, it had a Mick McLaren's Mick McLaren Mick Mick something. I don't know McLeary's. It was yeah. something like that. It my, was next to Salt and Pepper, like in Wrigleyville. What can I say? My people are great at making yeah. for ne'er do wells that are affordable <laughs> for broke comedians. Uh, <laughs> But the uh, uh, but truly the the um, everything you're saying I drive with so much especially the idea of like chemistry in there as well because I think that's one of those fascinating it, it's a very fascinating thing because there are attitudes towards chemistry which is chemistry is significant even if you're making some piece of like legacy media like a film or a television show or something like that let alone when you guys are the writers room the cast and the audience all in one at a table all together. You know, and I say the audience because the first thing that that the audience watching is seeing is you, the cast, reacting to each other and your choices, right? That is very much a part of what's going on. Uh, And that chemistry is so very, very interesting. And I love what you're saying in that, like, how do we have this thing that, one, it can't be faked, but on the other hand, like you're saying, I think a group of people can't, like, we will all say the same word eventually. Like we will all eventually get there. And I think that there's a weird part of me that doesn't, I don't think chemistry is this immutable written in the stars thing, but I do think it is a choice that a group of people makes about whether they are going to, in a word like, um, it's a very weird dance. Cause it's like, I have to, 
be completely selfless without sacrificing myself. I yes. can't I can't throw away my own sensibilities. I have to be me or I'm not being honest, but also I have to genuinely and with love be excited to do your idea. How, how do I, you know, and I think there is kind of this like, you know, rub your yeah. belly, pat your head of how do I not compromise any of who I am while being genuinely so open to who you are and doing your thing. Yeah. And, and like it, yeah, I think you right on the head, like it is a delicate dance. It is a delicate dance of, of desire and faith, like the desire to want to make something good and the faith that other people want to make good things too. Um, you know, and, that judge, it's really the judgment at the table that I believe everyone is talking about when they talk about the bad things at the table. Um, and, and when I mean bad things, I mean like, like not like, not like uh, law and order bad things. I'm not talking about that. Those are like, those are like shitty bad things that like happen. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the icky feeling that you have sometimes when you play or when someone knows you or, or when you're just like, this is where the story should go and it should go like this. And someone's like, nope. Uh, and just like that judgment that comes sometimes like after you play, like, I can't believe so-and-so did this. It's so wrong and blah, blah. It's like, how can a, you know, we're in a very sensitive state when we are creating, um, you know, imagination has to be very close to lying, you know? And when you get caught in a lie, it hurts. It hurts so bad. So when you know someone or when you reprimand someone, can you imagine having judgment against a child? Like if you're in a childlike state, if you're literally a child and a child's just like, you know, it's a balloon. It's like, no, it's not a balloon. It doesn't work that way. Like a child would be like, okay, I guess it's not, I, you know, I guess I'll be an accountant now and never dream again. You know, it's not that bad, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's such a, a sensitive feeling, uh, you know, to be open like that. And you really have to trust people. And it's also like, man, you are 30% dumber. Like when you're thinking on your toes, when you're yeah. trying to wear a bunch of filters of like, this is this person's childhood and blah, 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 like all that. And I still have to be a nice person. Your defense mechanisms automatically kick in. Like they mm-hmm. auto kick in. Uh, like I always think like who you are on stage is who you are on the inside. It's almost like that drunk thing, you know, like yes. mean, mean drunks. Like if you know, like a real mean drunk, like that's probably not a nice person or that's someone that's dealing with something that they can't not get over. They, they can't get over yeah. it somehow uh, because it's defense mechanism. You know, it, it just like clicks in automatically. Oh, a million, per, a million percent. And I, I said that all the time, like, you know, there's the, the, the cult-like aura that permeates improv communities is very much, I'm trying to think how to put this, but it makes sense. The reason it makes sense is you develop these strong bonds with people and you're like, wow, I miss, I started my indie improv team and we've done some shows. These are my family. I would die for these people. And you go like, okay, strong feelings very fast, yes. But it stands to reason because I think when you are in a state of play, there is a vulnerability that you get to faster than 10 like, meeting someone for coffee and being like, so do you have brothers and sisters? It's like, (laughs) is this the way to really find out what my deal is? Like, where do you work? You know, like it's that, I mean, those, those little minutiae things are important as well. Those sort of like biography stats, but 
I think you are absolutely correct that when you are in a state of play with people, playing D&D with people, doing improv with people is how I have made friends the fastest in my life. Because you're right, there's there's a little insight into the soul that comes about when you're in a state of play, because that vulnerability is there, right? And it's a funny thing, too, because I actually think it's it can be counterintuitive sometimes. Like, you know, you see, you see a dungeon, you're, someone's DMing and they're playing a terrible villain and you're like... I like this person. And you're like, yeah. I, like, you're like, I actually, even though you're being a villain, I'm not getting it twisted. Like I yes. see you versus, yes. so, you know, like, and I think on the flip side of that, if someone could be playing a lawful good character in a way that makes you go like, um, oh, like I'm seeing something here. Yeah. You, you, you leaned into that paladin. Mo- you're leaning into these paladin moments. Very straight, like very bad cop. Strange very, yes, way. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's like there's just, something about that that excites you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's not about necessarily. It's like, in other words, it's not that we all have to be playing care bears literally yeah. at the table. It's that through these acts of play, we're showing a lot of ourselves. We're showing these decision makings, these reactions uh, and the same in improv as well. Like when you see, like, I remember meeting, I, I got put on a, a team at UCB and you know you meet these seven people for the first time and we're all walking on way these like little f- fresh faced just out of you know 501 or whatever like hi 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 and everyone's being very polite and then it's like okay well I just want to say it's a real pleasure and an honor and I, I hope I hope we have a great time and then you know 30 minutes later everyone's like we're a bunch of dogs and you're <laughs> on top of each other and you go like oh these barriers have come down very very quickly um, it's a beautiful thing um we, I don't want to cut you off, but we have to get to some audience questions. Yeah, we have, yeah let's do it. We have barreled through um, yeah. uh, life, uh, uh, <laughs> life, and life philosophy. Um, uh, I love this. Uh, this first question comes to us from Jess. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, uh, Jess. Woo. Uh, Jess says, hi, guys. I recently uh, watched Pirates of Leviathan for the first time and absolutely adored it. Uh, in one of the Adventuring Party episodes, Carlos, you mentioned you don't have a visual brain and your descriptions were always really cinematic and super cool. Uh, agreed. Uh, uh, can you talk about how that affects your playing theater of the mind D&D, if at all? I love hearing about how different the concept of mental images and imagination is for everyone. Love you guys. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Jess. Um... Yeah, that's a, that's something that like I've recently learned about myself probably in the last two years where like, you know, I read this thing on Aphantasia and I was like, huh, like people, people see the thing? Like, I thought that was just like a, you know, like a saying. And then like, I kind of just like filed it away in my head and went on with my life because it was probably something too big. I was not ready to unwrap uh, <laughs> at that time. Uh, so, you know, it took me months and months and I would just always go back and I probably watched like this one YouTube video like 10 times or something before I actually was just like, this is me, I should probably do something. I should probably look into this. I should probably, you know, like, but for me, it never felt like like any type of a bad thing or a weird thing. I, I don't know. It, 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 I don't even want to say like, I don't know, like uh, it never, it never felt like a drawback uh, in any type of way. It always like when I think of like other people who can like imagine and like create things from nothing in their head, that sounds, I'm sorry, fucking horrible. Like it sounds <laughs> like it really does because like, think about it. Like, well, well think about it from, from my end though. Like think about it from my end, because like I, I try to explain 
how I create things. Uh, like I create things from patterns and systems that I make up, uh, you know, like we're going to play Nirvana, uh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, bridge, chorus, like, okay, we're done. Uh, like, that's why that's awesome. We're going to play the, the loud part, uh, fast and the, fa and like the, the soft part, like slow it, it, back and forth on these patterns. Like even what you're looking at right now, you can put into quadrants and I'm in the middle quadrant, then it comes out into a T like, what we know as art, like, is explainable. Um, so when it's in your head, it feels horrible. Uh, it must feel, I think it must feel horrible. Like, I, I now understand why people who are like, I have writer's block, or I have, like, I can't picture something, or like, oh, I'm trying to paint this thing, and it's not the thing. It's like, how is it not the thing? And it's like, because it's in your head. I'm like, oh shit, that's messed up. Like if there was something in my head that I couldn't get out that I could see and like feel and smell. And like, you know, if I'm having dreams that are like, and I have dreams every now and then, but like, they're more like, uh, they're not like vivid or anything like that. But like, if I had these things like that, I couldn't get out, that sounds horrible to me. Um, you know, people ask like, what is it like? It, it's hard to like, even explain. It's just like, um, like walking into target, mm -hmm. you know, the layout of target, you don't even have to be there. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you, you, that might not even, you could be in a target in Chicago, target in Seattle. Like, you know, the layout of target. As soon as you see the fruits on that side, okay, well then everything's on this side, blah, blah, blah. You, I don't understand why you need that mental map, but you guys have it and you can like picture it. The sad stuff kind of comes from like, there are sad parts and like some of it is like, this is weird. Sometimes I can't remember, like I, 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 I'm very surprised when I see people sometimes. Uh, like I get very surprised. Like I can't picture them sometimes like I, I, uh, like sometimes I'll, I'll see my wife and I'll be, I'll be like, Oh my God, you're gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> like, like it's very strange. Uh, like, you know, I, I'll feel bad late. Like I, I, I understand it now, but I think when I was like, uh, when I was younger, uh, I, I felt like, I felt like there was something missing, a missing piece of me because there was people that would talk about how they miss people like this or like that and blah, blah, blah. And I, I could never picture things like that. I, I picture how I felt. It's very strange. Um, but yeah, I don't, uh, in terms of gaming, what I can access is memory. Uh, yeah. So I could access memory. So if you say uh, what, what doesn't help me is like, uh, you know, adjectives and stuff like that, uh, especially if it doesn't exist in my world, you know, um, like while the internet, if it, if you could type it into the internet, it exists, you know, uh, it's not like that in my brain. So I have a generic tree when you mention tree, you know, I don't actually see the the setting. It doesn't place him in, in my head. All I have is just like, kind of like if we were to go through a magazine and like, you would just cut it out and just like the tree goes here. And then, you know, the clubhouse is here and, uh, you know, and in my head, I'm like, I can kind of put it together where it is, like where it is spatially and whatnot. Um, but it's always amazing to me when like someone posts something that they drew on how they saw it. And like, I'm like, Oh my God, that's what it was. Like, that's where it was. It's kind of like, and I think that's why I kind of liked, you know, it was, it's weird because people think that people think this is strange. My favorite improv game is the bat 
So like, really? Yeah. And a lot of people, uh, so anyone who's listening to this, a bat is basically you turn off the lights, you're in the dark and you're doing all audio. And it's because everything that is there is there for a reason. And like, that's yeah. my jam. Like everything that is there is there for a reason. Uh, it's not this long winded storytelling that like, I can't visualize. Uh, yeah. You have to actually show it to me visually or like uh, auditory. Like, um, and then we're, I feel like we're all on the same page with a bat. I love the bat. Like that's one of my favorite ones. That is so, so cool, man. Oh, I, yeah, that's an incredible form. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely hear that idea of like mental pictures. But what's what's striking to me too, though, is that first of all, like I didn't know this. I didn't, I didn't know about you know aphantasia prior. But I remember getting the uh, incredible um, mood board for cheese that had all oh, wow. of these. The, you had like image shop and selected. It was incredible breakdown. It was so. Uh, uh, filled up with character and vitality. And it honestly, I loved it because I obviously do visual descriptions for Dimension 20, but especially I, when I clock my own DMing style, I often feel like, um, like I hope people don't think that I'm not lending gravitas to stuff, but often what I'm doing is just hitting a few things, or I'll even just say what something is like. Like for example, if I'm going to describe yes. a dun like a, a nasty dungeon, I am so much less likely to do like, you see a chamber with gothic buttresses yeah. covered in this. Like oh, I, that's I, hell. I, <laughs> that's hell for me. Like I don't like if 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 I don't have if I don't have a reference for gothic buttresses, I have no. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm like. I'm so could, much yeah, I'm so much more likely to be like, you guys see a like dungeon which is scary. I'll let you draw the like to be <laughs> or to be or like if something's gonna be described, it's almost like you enter a cavern where the stalactites and stalagmites look like the teeth of an open jaw. And it's just me kind of like pulling the curtain to be like, it's fucking scary, dude. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it's scary, his teeth but, like a monster. Even, like even yeah. something like that, I could have, I have reference for that. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. there's a million cartoons of someone walking into a jaw, like a whale jaw, you know? Yeah. But like sometimes, but like the, sometimes people, it, it's so amazing when I talk to people about what they see and what I thought were just cliche terms that, that people would say, like, they're like, we're actually real. Like I, um, my friend, uh, TK Johnson, they were talking about dreams. Like I, I had this big inquiry about like dreams and how, what they see. And they actually like, smell and fear and like they have all these things when they're in when they're dreaming i'm like that's horrible it's like <laughs> like it feels real like oh so here's another one like when uh when people talk about um you know oh i i like uh when they smell something and they like want to throw up or when they think about something and they want to throw up i was always amazed about that so i grew up in funeral homes too so like i've been like i lived in funeral homes i moved dead bodies in a lot of my 20s like that's what i did and like none of it ever grossed me out or whatever um but people say that they when they think about certain things like if they think about like vomit or something they can taste it in the mouth like literally taste it in the mouth and i always thought that was just like an exaggeration on what people say but that's real man do, yeah. do you do can you taste vomit 
Like yeah. if I say that word, is well, that freaking you out? If you say, you need to fucking stop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just bleed um, me out. Just bleed me out. Uh, the entire uh, uh, no, but you know what's funny is I definitely have. Well, I have, I have the reverse of like eating something will sometimes make me remember the first time I ate it. Like I have that strong sense memory of like smelling something and it'll be like, oh, that's the smell that used to be here or like connect it with other powerful, like I make strong sense associations with memory. But to your point, I definitely, it's so funny you were saying like the ability to imagine something in your mind, I thought you were gonna be, and you were like, that's horrible. It's so funny to me because I have, you know, uh, uh, I will routinely in and around my apartment look up to find Izzy, like kind of like propped over, waving in my face oh. as I have just shot into another. I've been so deep in literally like seeing and hearing fictional things that I'll be like, <gasps> and you know, almost like a how long was I out kind of thing. And um, it, so it's, I have that, I have that, that mind's eye thing. But that's the thing is we we discover all these different ways that these, you know, as, as you've been telling the story, I've been thinking a lot about one of my favorite students I ever had in improv uh, classes who love this, who again, just to your point of like, all roads lead to Rome. Like if you had never told me you had aphantasia, your, like the question said, your descriptions are so vivid and cinematic. I would never in a million years have guessed that you like don't actually picture the stuff in your mind. Similarly, one of my favorite students I ever had um, was a student in a 201 class who I was talking about, you know, I was, I was doing a, a came, basically came up to me after a class and was like, hey man, I'm enjoying this a whole lot. I'm very nervous because I'm on the autism spectrum. And a lot of what you are talking about is reading your partner. And he's like, I, he's like, just as a heads up, I am always gonna have a hard time with that. Like, he's like, even, and he, he referenced the scenes we've been doing in the class. And he was like, you told me that the person was mad at me. He's like, I had no clue. He's like, could, couldn't, he's like, because she didn't say I'm mad at you or didn't communicate it verbally to me, I was never gonna clock that. And I just found what she was saying, frankly, really confusing. And I was like, okay. And he's like, and he literally asked me this kind of like heartbreaking question where he's like, is this just not for me? Like, is this something I'm never going to be able to do? Yeah. And I was basically like, I was like, no way, man. Like, we, as I was like, based on your level of comfortability, first of all, thank you for sharing with me. Second of all, like, let, please let me know if there's anything I can do to adjust my teaching, to accommodate you. This alone is going to make me adjust my notes for you quite a bit, knowing this. And I'm glad you've told me. Um, I was like, if you're comfortable, like, if you want to share with scene partners that or you want to share with the class that, that is totally your your right to do. And I think that would maybe like help in the situation to have people know to help you. Like, because if you were on a team where it was all your buddies, they would absolutely be like, know this about you and know how to organize things to help you out. And what ended up happening is, is I just went like, Anytime you're confused and you feel like someone in a scene has maybe been emoting something in a way that you're not clocking, um, just have your character ask. And he's like, isn't that going to slow things down? And I was like, I was like, it will not slow things down at all. I was like, you're going to be amazed how much people actually love and relate to it. I know yep. that you feel like you're slowing things down. And this dude killed. It was, yes. you know. It just killed after that moment, killed and killed and killed. Because I was like, anytime, you know, like, yeah, someone would do something that was an emotional, a facial cue or something like that. And they would just be like, 
are you like be like you're not pleased you're not pleased that I've, are you unpleased that i've said that and every time it would a make this dude feel so comfortable in the scene and b it was often this this joyous moment of people because here's the thing is even for this obviously this person was on the autism spectrum but neurotypical or otherwise everyone has had a moment where they needed clarity about what yes. someone else was feeling right and it was a beautiful thing and that guy was one of my favorite students i've ever had That's, that that advice is great it's a it's a shortcut to everything though like mm -hmm. that is a shortcut for like any improv scene it doesn't even have to be a problem like mm -hmm. and and i would even say that like the advice that you gave him wasn't like sure it benefited him but it benefits everyone like yeah. it, it benefits like the teammates for knowing that i'm sure they were better performers for for checking in and everyone should be aware of that right like we should all be aware of the fact that like maybe this person isn't reading or maybe i'm not emoting correctly or uh clear enough not correctly um yeah. but but yeah like checking it like that that was one thing that I would say is just like if, if my style is cinematic and emotional, like I love and that's something that I found very late in life. Like I wasn't really socialized. I didn't really like have practice with a lot of these things. So like later on, uh, when I get to do these scenes, it it's 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 cathartic, you know, like and I think that draws a lot of people to the game and a lot of people to performing. But like. Yeah, man, like I love the emotion part of a scene. Like if I can just, whenever I feel like it's getting away, wait for, like we're talking about a thing, we're talking about pudding cups or whatever, we're talking about this thing that we have to succeed or whatever, like let's just check in. Like mm -hmm. let's just check in and I'll tell you how I feel. I could start, I could start, as, as long as I could just start a sentence off with like, I feel like, or I'm like, I feel blah, blah, blah. Um, grounds the scene. Like it just grounds it right away pumps it and then reveals at the same time, um, getting people to know that that's what's happening, uh, can be really hard sometimes if they don't yeah. like have that. But like pirates was great with that. Like everyone who, who like did that, they were just like, yes, let's go. And then let them, let those two people go, you know? And just like, yeah, yeah it was great. Oh, it's great. No emotion. Like it's hard to think of a better, central pillar, a keystone for performance than that embrace of emotionality. Because specifically, like, and again, I don't even just mean like the outward performance of the emotion. I mean the internal experience of the, I mean the ability yeah. to know how your character is feeling. Because the, the honest to God truth is, I used to say this in improv class all the time, I'd be like, the we would do emotion scenes where it was like, have your character feel a big feeling at the start of the scene. And you do it early in 101. And it's one of those things where the scenes just are explosively good. People are like, how did that, like that, our other stuff was so clunky and hard and I didn't know what to say and the second i felt an emotion i always knew what to say and it was one of those things where it's like i was like th there is very little i was like emotions are unique in that it's they're the only thing that is simultaneously who you are what you're doing and what's happening to you oh, like shit. Like an emotion is happening to you. It is an event that is occurring to you, yeah, but it yeah. is also completely who you are. It's what you're feeling, right? And yeah. that, that like, there's very few things in a scene like an emotion that ground us in something happening. Like how many improv scenes sort of flounder because we don't really know what's going on. But the second someone's like, I'm pissed. Ooh, yeah. we know what's happening, right? Or someone's like, you really upset me with what you said. It's like, oh shit, we don't need to be like playing checkers or whatever we're dealing with this. I hurt my friend's feelings. Oh no. Right. Um, and it's, it's the only reason it's the only foolproof thing for a reason and an excuse. It's 
foolproof. Yeah. You can say any emo any line in any emotion and it tells you everything that you need to know. Like he ate the last pudding cup or like he ate the last pudding cup. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you know who those two people were like, yes. and you can, you automatically were transported to like, Oh, okay, I know what the situation is. Like it's the same sentence like over and over again. Like, yeah. Yeah. A million percent, man. I, I fully, fully agree. Um, uh, 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 this next one was from Julie Brown. Thanks, Julie Brown. Um, Brown. Hi, Carlos. You've been involved in so many great D&D projects. How do you try to bring something new to every game? Where does your inspiration for innovation come from? Thanks, Julie. This is a good question. Um, I, I, so I do listen to the people who I'm playing with a lot. And if I could help it, I will be the last person. I'll mm -hmm. always try to be the last person. And that's just more of a, I like rounding it out. And I, I feel like, you know, uh, not that I want us all to play more than I want me to play. Um, like, I, I feel like that's a, that's like a big thing. So like, and I know like other people are going to watch this too. Like other people are going to watch this. So if I can, you know, be someone's foil, like that's really cool. Um, and then if I could put a spin on it somehow and be that, uh, be the thing you don't expect or the, the typical, but not my, my favorite thing is like, how close can I get to cliche without being cliche? While, while like, how close can I be to cliche? And that's like, pull it back just a little bit and put a spin on it. Um, because everything's been done. Like I, there's, there's every, every single thing has been done before. Well, yeah. I think this does wind back to what we we're talking about of like the idea, man, like, the thing is in the execution, right? Like yeah. the thing is in the execution, the thing is in the doing, um, you know, and again, not to be, but but it is one of those things of like having been doing creative work for a while now, you very quickly do end up being like, I, you know, when I was young or like a film student and someone made something bad, it's like, oh, you made a bad thing. And now I'm like straight up, I have more respect for a bad finished product than a good idea. Like, yes, like, 100%. Like if you, if you finished, you were like, Hey, like someone shows up, I think like baking is a great metaphor for it. Someone shows up with like, with like, Hey, like I, these cookies, like they were in the oven too long. They're kind of burnt around the edges. I did that. It's like, you made cookies. You made, you actually like, how many times do I have an idea of like, oh, wouldn't that be nice to do? And oh, cool, an idea, great, whatever. You did the thing. This is real. This is in real. A, in a world where you don't have to do anything, everything that you do matters, right? Oh. Like, like everything that you do absolutely matters. So yeah. yeah, I'm the same exact way. I was watching a YouTube video the other day where like this guy was like, uh, he was just like, I dropped out of college. Uh, I was a film student and I want to start my own film production company. And, uh, you know, he kind of like maps out his first month and he makes a goal where he's like, I want to make a thousand dollars this month on my video, whatever. Uh, and as the video goes on, you realize like he's literally done nothing. He has no camera equipment. He has his iPhone and like literally dropped out of college. And I was, and I thought I was ballsy. Like I had a guitar and an amp and I was like, I'm going to make it, you know, whatever. I, I wasn't even like, I was going to make it. I was just like, this is possible. You know, yeah. I was like, this is possible. And like this, this kid is doing the same thing. He's like 20 years old. He's like, this is possible. And he documents, like he sends out all these cold calls. He, he makes, he, he, he makes himself a reel 
a reel of his work. He has no work. So he just makes all these like little clips of like, you know, um, product photography stuff and product uh, videography. And then he sends it out to all these cold emails and then he gets a bite and it's like his process of making his first video uh, and trying to get paid for it. And, you know, well, spoiler alert, the guy blows him off and he doesn't get it made. But in my head, I'm like, damn, dude, like, can you imagine selling the second thing you made? off the first thing you made like that's that's wild to me like that is so wild and that's the thing like so i looked at it i looked at it and i'm like well th this video is not very good i wouldn't hire this guy obviously but like in my head i'm just like someone would and like good yeah. on him for doing that and he made more than money he gained like that actual knowledge of how to do that, those skills, that toolbox, because that's all learning is just like adding more to your toolbox. Um, mm. And like, yeah, I applaud that way more than like good cookies. Like yeah. show me the guy who doesn't have an oven and made, you don't have an oven, you make cookies? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, <laughs> right, exactly. Or yeah, it's, it's to me the comparison is the person that showed up with an actual like scratched up Tupperware full of half burnt cookies versus the person who's got the immaculate kitchen, the perfect stove, yes. all the ingredients and is like, you know, I st I'm waiting to figure out what kind of cookie because there's two that I could do. And it's like, mm, no. Well, one of my favorite things, like uh, my good friend, Dave, uh, he's a foodie. Him and his wife are, are foodies and uh, all, uh, a little little snobby with their food. If you're watching this, Dave, you're a little snobby with your food. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he knows this. Uh, and one, like I, they, they would always throw these backyard barbecues and people would, it would be like a potluck thing where people would bring things. I know I'm not the guy who's going to make something. I'm never going to bring anything. And uh, But I always feel really, really bad. So one time... I went to uh, like an uh, uh, like a, a Trader Joe's or no, it was a Jewel Osco with a Tupperware container and asked them to fill it up with potato salad, and I turned it in as my own potato salad that we had made, and she pronounced that the potato salad was better than her grandmother's recipe uh, <laughs> as like a foodie, uh, and and that's what I mean, like yeah. expectation, uh, like <laughs> was it the best? Was it better than grandma's? I don't know, but she thought. Here's this guy who doesn't know how to make cookies, uh, and he, he brought his Tupperware container of burnt ass potato salad, uh, and like, you know, it was deemed fantastic. That art, uh, art is. You have said so many things that I'm going to carry with me from this day forward. Art is 360 degrees is definitely one of them, <laughs> which I I totally apply to every. I had a funny conversation. Uh, this is a long time ago, yelling at my brother who is Griffin. I love you with all my heart. You are also <laughs> this kind of foodie. Um, where Griff. <laughs> Griff is very much the dude who is like, oh my God, there's this incredible bistro. Um, they do this thing that's, that's prepared in this very special way. He used to have in a dating profile that he he's like, I bicycle around New York looking for the perfect croissant. And um, he's a, uh, uh, he has a just very <laughs> old, very old world sensibility. And he, in any case, he, you know, he, we, there's this place uh, in New Paltz called the Main Street Bistro. And he was very much like, oh, the bistro's the best. And I, and for me, I'm like, they're gonna have a line. We're gonna have to wait 45 minutes. Let's just go to the New Paltz Plaza Diner. They will literally, they will have our burgers waiting for us when we walk in the door. That's how fast the diner is. Let's go to the diner. And it's very funny because he was like, but he's like, but don't you want to wait for better food? And I was like, food now tastes better <laughs> than better food 45 minutes from now. Very true. <laughs> Very, very true. I, I will eat, I, you know, and I don't care about, I'll eat over the sink. I don't care. Like, 
I'll I'll put things together. I you know, it's just it's all fuel to me. So like I don't get that I don't get that either. I do love and appreciate food and I believe that there are definite like moments for that and I, I totally understand that. Uh but yeah man like sometimes like what's the, the diminishing returns on that burger? There's gotta be you know waiting in line there's gotta be some diminishing returns. Exactly on there's that. a return on investment here. Yeah. Like, the same way that like a thousand dollars today isn't worth more in some ways than five thousand dollars twenty years from now. Exactly. You know like a hundred percent. So a burger right now may be worth more than whatever this nice thing we're gonna eat is in theoretically an hour. One hundred percent. Uh, incredible. Let's see if we have time for one more question here. Uh, bah, bah, bah. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, there's some great ones. Um, ooh, uh, here's a great one. Uh, this one's from Ant-Man. Thanks, Ant-Man. Um, you've talked before about how to be comfortable with changing a character in the first couple of sessions if things aren't clicking. But what should a player do if they start feeling disconnected later on in the campaign? Great question, right? Um, I love this. So I think what Ammon's referring to here is we talked a little bit before about some advice for DMs that different DMs have given about like letting the first couple sessions be volcanic a little bit. Like, yeah, maybe session one, we commit hard to a Cockney accent. Two or three oh, sessions yeah. in, we're like, hey, this maybe isn't my jam in the long run. Maybe I just do my voice, right? Uh, uh, or even like other, other things about like a character's backstory, you know, like, mm -hmm. Yes, these things theoretically are set in stone, but especially for a long running campaign, we can use those first session or two to like test things out. But yeah, uh, um, uh, I have I have uh, run into this a couple times of like character fatigue or a character not gelling or not working later in a campaign. Um, I've done run into this and I think there's actually a couple ways to solve it. But before I get into that, Carlos, have you ever run into this thing of like long running character and you just oh, yeah. spark fizzles? What, what do you do? Um. I think recognizing it is like a big part. Try not to push it or whatever. I definitely err on the side of discovery over invention. Like instead of like inventing something, uh, something that happened or whatever at any given time, and you can do this for your character or you can do this in your life. Uh, you can just, you can decide to be a different person. Like you can decide to have a breakthrough and be a different person. You can decide that this thing that didn't matter before matters for some reason right now. And you'll figure it out later. You don't have to know why you could fucking secret books, right? Like you don't have to know what it is, but it mattered very much in that moment. And your character can do the same exact thing. So like in that moment, like you could be, you know, fighting spiders, like you always fight spiders. But for some reason, man, like you put down your sword and you get it. Like you understand, like, yeah. What are we doing here? We're all just like spiders, you know what I mean? And you could be the dude who loves spiders, you know what I mean? Like, what? put down your sword, don't I tell you, you know? And you just like, I think we should volunteer and rebuild their webs, guys. You know, and that's a, that's a, that's a joke, obviously. <laughs> but at any given time, you can decide that you don't wanna be that person, that you wanna be something else. And just look at what you've, what, look, at, look at all the patterns that your character has done. This is the easiest way. Just look, look at all the patterns that you've done, that he's known for how you react and decide like no more. It has led to nothing but chaos and bad misfortunes and all this and none of it really matters. You could have your uh, Jerry Maguire moment uh, with, uh, you know, the kid in the hallway who, you know, calls him an asshole for wanting to put his dad back on ice. Uh, it, Jerry Maguire, shout out to Tom Cruise. What up? Uh, <laughs> uh, Brandon's like, I'm more of a Jonathan Lipnicki fan over here. <laughs> 
We do not talk bad about Lipnicki in this yeah. household. I'm yeah. a Lipniptic uh, over here, so uh, yeah, that, that's how that's how I feel about. It. Just like discover something about him. Discover like look at like take a step back, look at your character, and be like, okay, what are they known for? What is not working for them? Can they change their life? And it doesn't even have to be you change their life. You could just decide, they decide that they want to change their life today, you know? I love that. And I think too that, that there is a degree, I love the, again, discovery versus invention is really great. Also very rooted in improv as well, where we're yeah. always talking about, improv is one of those weird things where it's like, I would tell people day one in a 101, this is not the art form of making shit up fast. I promise you. I know that when you watch it, you're just thinking like, look at these lightning speed liars who invent things in their mind so fast. And I'd be like, I know that that's what the process looks like from the outside. From the inside, we are trying to get away from invention and artifice. Really, we're trying to make like the smallest little choice and then react honestly to that and discover all these things through honest reaction, right? That's yeah. what we're always trying to do. And, um, Within that, I think that that's what you should be doing with your player character, right? If you, and that's what the thing is, the question says things aren't clicking. And I think there are two different answers to this. If things are not clicking internally, I think that what you need to look at, at is your character should be as dynamic as a person is. Everything Carlos just said. What can you discover? People go through catharsis. People get into ruts and then break out of those ruts, right? Um, what can you do to change the character in an organic way to click for you? Because it's possible that the reasons they're not clicking are actually possible to change through growth. And character growth is part of the fun of playing a character in a long running campaign. Um, if the clicking is due to external factors, mm. I would say the other things to be aware of are, um, is the character, one of the real reasons that this has come up in the past is because a character had their PC die and their new PC came in and they hadn't like sufficiently mourned their PC who had sort of gone away, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and I think too, there is something to the fact of occasionally, um, look at your character creation style. Some people make their characters completely based on a mechanical thing they're trying to accomplish. Like, oh, this new subclass got released and it looked really cool. Okay, you made a character that was the new subclass, but did you really have a good idea for the character? Did you emotionally connect with them, right? Uh, flip side is also like, maybe someone made a character that they had a really good character concept for, but they are bummed out because it's not fitting into the, maybe the, maybe the campaign is more combat oriented. Maybe you're in a party of all sorcerers and wizards and warlocks, and you made a character that has zero interest in magic. So because all the other five characters have something in common, now you're kind of like the, the ugly duckling, so to speak, and you can't be included in these conversations. That's not to say, I. some people might have a lot of fun with that ugly duckling character. I might actually enjoy to play a character like that. For but, sure. But that can like come up in, in times. I think a lot of that is conversation. And I think that the third is conversation about like, it's not, you don't need to have a character die to play a new character. Maybe a character ha concluded a huge story arc and it makes sense for them to not adventure anymore. Maybe a character found the meaning they were looking to find and it's like uh, my good friend Connor Gillespie retired a character. His character was this like gnomish arcane spy and he fell in love with this um, 
uh, woman, this like this like bar uh, bartender who worked in, in this like little gnomish village. He was from this big gnomish homeland, and she was this like frontier saloon woman gnome. And he told his friends like, "I've fallen in love. I'm going to stay here and lay up my arcane pistols. I'm." Good. That should happen more. I wish I could do that. I wish I did that. You know what I mean? Like, I wish that happens more. You just you you just go until it burns out or until they die. Like, you know, yeah. just give them a happy ending. It was great. He was like, you know, and they were all like, but the adventure. And he's like, no, no, you guys were adventurers. I was a spy for the gnomish government. I found out my government is corrupt. I've fallen in love. Goodbye. <laughs> um, so I think that can be great as well. Um, uh, but there's also, I think, an element. And by the way, years later, he got drawn out of retirement for one last job. Of which course was, he did. <laughs> which is Ocean's Eleven. Eleven. Oh, <laughs> you love it. And really, it's like he had a kid and it was like, are you really going to do it? It was the perfect trope. Um, but again, point being, um, uh, within all of this, I think the last, so like, retire a character. It's okay to be like, I want to hang this one up and try something new. And then I think the third thing is, if are things not clicking because there might be some vibes in the campaign itself. Yeah. And that as always is going to be communication, communication, communication. 100%. I, I would, I would also add just like, um, uh, I, I, I reference the, uh, the emotion wheel a lot, like just go to Google, Google emotion wheel and look at it. And when you look at your character, um, figure out how your character feels about different things and put it on that wheel uh, and try to fill out that entire wheel with how they feel about things. Um, and the one thing you don't want, the one thing that is like kind of not on that wheel uh, is apathy. Uh, apathy does nothing because it's a, it's a non-choice. You, you, when you choose apathy, when you choose to be too cool for school and have no feelings on something, you've decided not to play the game. You've decided not, you've decided to say, I didn't hear you. I'm not playing with my scene partner right now. When you choose apathy, when you choose being too cool for school to like actually talk to this person or play in a scene with them, what you've decided is someone has asked you to dance and you have just walked right past them. Um, yeah. so even though, you know, you're in a scene with like wizards and warlocks and sorcerers and you're a barbarian you have you don't like any you don't like magic so you have nothing to contribute that's not true you you don't like magic is an emotion that is not apathy so yeah. why don't you think of like all the specific ways that you can hate magic hinges doorknobs that's magic too. Maybe you get confused on what mechanical stuff is and what magic is and you just start, you know what I mean? You're just like, oh, I don't mess with that. That's a lantern? No, I'll take a torch. Thank you very much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe it's something like that. Like there is no excuse for why you can't talk about something that you like, dislike, or are afraid of. Like there's no excuse. So never choose apathy. Never choose to be too cool. Because the guy who's too cool, he loves looking awesome. Uh, he loves his clothes. Uh, he makes sure his boots are tidy. He loves his pet turtle. Maybe there's a secret about him that you don't know. So like there's all in, in a world where you can make anything, literally anything, um, you have no excuse to say no. That's the most beautiful note we could end on. Uh, <laughs> never excuse apathy uh, is, is uh, uh, I think, put that on the goddamn banner. Um, yeah. uh Carlos, my friend, a pleasure and an honor. What a beautiful, wonderful chat. Thank you so much for coming uh, on the show. Um, uh, Thank you for having me. This was great. I love this. This was I wish, a, we were, 
we should have been drinking tall PBR tall boys. Yeah, uh, we should have been like, at Nick wherever it was in Chicago, yeah. and we should have been. You know, I'll get I'll, I'll get a bacon cheeseburger. We will get yeah. some drinks. We'll have a good time. Uh, uh, God. The, the nostalgia I feel. You know oh, what? Yeah. Not even nostalgia. Looking to the future. One day it will happen. One day it will happen. Rock and roll. <laughs> uh, thank you everyone at home for watching. This has been Adventuring Academy. We'll catch you all next time. Farewell. Bye.